Well, as a church, we have been journeying through the epistle of James, and we are now at James 5, 13 through to 18. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time before I speak, because we're going to make a proclamation together. Please stand. This is based on 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through to 18. I'd like us to read that boldly together. Are you ready? Let's read it then. Father, help me to rejoice no matter what happens. Pray all the time and thank you in all circumstances. For I belong to Christ Jesus, and this is how you want me to live. Okay, now that you know what it says, we're going to read it as if we really mean it. Yes? Amen. Let's read it again. Father, help me to rejoice no matter what happens. Pray all the time, and thank you in all circumstances. For I belong to Christ Jesus, and this is how you want me to live. Amen. Father, I ask for a touch of your hand as I share this word. I thank you that you'll give me insight, Lord, to expound to your people what they need. Pray for daily bread, Lord, just what we need today. Lord, let it come in power and anointing. And in its fullness, Lord, that it will enrich our lives, Lord, and that we will live and glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. My theme today is the power of godly prayer. And I will make some references to what was shared last week as I progress with this message Taking from James chapter 5, 13 through to 18. It begins by saying, Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Remember last week I spoke about seasons, that our lives uh, moves in seasons, just like you have the four Seasons, autumn, winter, summer, spring, so on. So we have seasons in our lives, times when we are up and everything is going well, times when we are down and things are not going so well. The scripture is saying here that we should include God in every season of our lives. Are you in trouble? Are you suffering? Then the scripture says that you should pray. Are you happy? Are you cheerful? Then the scripture says that we should sing songs of praise, which is a type of prayer. So no matter where we are in in our lives, in our circumstances, whether we're in trouble or things are going well, the scripture says that we should pray. That should be a natural response of the believer. Instead of focusing on our circumstances, Prayer helps us to focus on God. So God wants to be in every season of our lives. He wants us to include him. You know, sometimes 
We don't pray when we should pray or we ought to pray. Sometimes you're in trouble and you would think that would be the time that you need to pray and you should be praying and you don't. We need to include God in every season of our lives. Verse 14 says, Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. This passage of scripture is probably one of the most challenging portions in the epistle of James to interpret. But I will do my best. And of course you're entitled to form your own view as you read and meditate on the scripture. But I believe he's talking about physical and spiritual problems. And in fact, this is the only place in the Bible where we are told to seek healing. So this is a very important passage for us to look at carefully and examine the instructions given to us here by the Apostle James. Now I want to make it clear that I believe in divine healing. Did you hear me say that? I believe in instant divine healing. But as I said, I'm going to do my best to interpret what I see in this passage before us. What I don't believe James is saying here is that he's he's not giving us a formula for healing. You know, one step, two step, three step, four step formula. And if you do these things, you will be healed. I believe the whole point of this portion of scripture is to point us to trust God. And it's important to hold that in in your minds as we, we, we go through. It's about trusting God, not so much about a formula. We all go through times of sickness, physical sickness in our lives. And James gives us a one-word solution, which is prayer. He says, is any among you sick? God commands that person to call for the elders to anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. The words used for sick here in the scripture can be translated in two different ways. It can be translated to mean sickness in terms of a physical disease or infirmity and in other parts of the scripture it's translated to mean weak a person who is spiritually weak and that word could also mean someone who's had their footing taken from under them in other words you're so weak you can't stand you're, you, you collapse to the ground and perhaps that's why uh, James says that the elders should pray over you you're so weak you're on the ground so they're praying over you so does it mean then if you are sick whether that's a physical sickness or you are weak and by weak that could be a circumstance that just knocks you out anybody been there some bad news or something goes wrong you're not physically sick but it just knocks you off your feet 
So does it mean then, if you are sick in either way, and you call for the elders and they come and anoint you with oil, does it mean then that you will be healed immediately? In other words, that second as the prayer finishes. Well, if you look at verse 14 carefully, I want us to mark there's a guarantee there, but also mark the tense in which this uh, verse is written, both in our English translations and if we look at the original language in the Greek. It says there that the prayer of faith will, will. It says that the Lord will. It's written in the future tense. It doesn't say that the prayer of faith saves, and it doesn't say that the Lord restores. It says the prayer of faith will, and the Lord will restore. So what does that mean? Well, that could mean instantly. It could mean in five minutes' time. It could mean in an hour. It could mean in a week. It could mean in a year. It could mean that that sick person actually dies. But the guarantee there is still secure. The Lord will. Because I believe that our prayers are eternal. So whether God manifests instantly, raising up that sick person in a way that we can see and experience or whether that's done on the great day of resurrection, the guarantee is that the Lord will raise that person up. The prayer of faith will make that person well. Amen. Remember we spoke last week about being eternal beings. So even justice... Sometimes our justice will not be served until we've crossed over the threshold from this life into eternity. So the first thing James tells us here is that sick persons should call for the elders of the church, who I believe to be church leaders or mature believers, and ask them to pray over them. Please note, it is the responsibility of the sick person to call for the elders. And I believe there are two reasons for this. Firstly, because sometimes the church leaders don't know who's sick. So the responsibility lies with the, the person to call for the church leaders to come and pray over them. And secondly, I believe... The sick person in calling for the leaders to come and pray for them is exhibiting faith. It's an act of faith that you believe that when these leaders come and pray, something is going to happen. I also believe it's a, a mark of humility that you need help and you're calling for those who are spiritually mature to come and pray with you. Then the scripture talks about that the elders, when they go to pray, should anoint the sick person with oil. And we know in the scripture that oil was used for medicinal purposes. If you think back to the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, who was beaten up and left for dead on the roadside, uh, 
when the Samaritan, sorry, the, not the Samaritan was, was beaten up. The traveler was beaten up. Amen. You must correct me though. Don't just sit there looking at me. I'm only human after all. I won't sing the other line. You didn't know I knew them songs, did you? Yeah, so the man that was traveling along the Jericho Road, he was beaten up and left for dead. And the good Samaritan came along and he poured in the oil, didn't he? And the wine. So use oil for medicinal purposes to bring healing to the wounds of the beaten up and injured man. So I believe... We can use oils and medicines, medication to aid our healing, but we acknowledge that the healing comes from God. Amen? So my view is there's nothing magical about using oil. Notice the scripture says that it's the prayer of faith, not the oil. The prayer of faith that saves the sick. And it is the Lord, not the oil. It's the Lord that raises up the sick. So I have nothing against using oil to anoint anyone, but our faith should not be in a bottle of oil. I mean, I've been to the Holy Land and they were trying to sell me some holy oil in a vial for X amount of shekels over there. I didn't buy any. Because I don't know where they got that oil from. They could have bought it from Aldi. <laughs> and behind the curtain, you know, they, they're pouring it out and saying, this is from Mount whatever. And we're paying enough money for it. That's how you could have gone to Aldi yourself. The point I'm trying to make is, our faith is not in these emblems, in, in the oil. It's in the prayer of faith. And it is in the Lord who raises up the sick. Remember last week, the example of the farmer. That the farmer does everything the farmer ought to do. Till the land, plant the seed, water the seed. And then waits for the elements to do what the elements are going to do. The wind, the rain, the sunshine. This passage is part of the same chapter and I believe it's, we can connect it with the same thought. So if you're sick, whether that's a physical sickness or mental sickness or you've just been knocked off your feet because something tragic has happened in your life, in your circumstances, the scripture says call for the church leaders, call for the mature believers to come and pray over you anoint you with oil in other words you do what you can do don't just be there and bear your troubles and your sickness call out in faith and say I need help from my church leaders that's doing what you can do and then after you've done everything you can do you wait then for the Lord to raise you up, whether that be instantly, whether that be in an hour's time, whether that be in a week's time, or whether that means he will raise you up on that day of resurrection. 
Do what you can do. And wait for the Lord to raise you up. You know, even if you are a believer and you die of a, an illness, there's, there's no shame, there's no embarrassment in that. We don't always understand God's working and his plans, but he guarantees us that one day he will raise us up with an incorruptible body, a body that won't experience pain, sickness, or disease. So what I'm encouraging you to do is to do what you can do. Now, I should have said earlier that This word sickness doesn't mean you've got like a slight headache. It means you're really sick. Are you getting me? So it's not to be used trivially that you just keep calling people. When you could use your faith to get rid of a headache yourself, I'm sure you can. If you've never done that before, then try it. Amen? So what's interesting from this passage is that the focus is not on the prayer. It's not on the oil. It's not on the people who are praying. The focus is on the Lord. We need to get that. The focus is on the Lord and the prayer of faith. Pray to him. He will raise up that sick person. Another thing I want to point out from this passage that this was done, or the scene seems to be set in private. I think that speaks a lot to maybe the way that we practice prayer for the sick. The person wasn't brought to an audience and, you know, a celebrity healer or anything like that. This was done in a private space. But nonetheless, God is faithful to hear that prayer And to raise up that sick person. Listen to what Leif Anderson writes. He says, The elders of the church are to gather with a sick person and pray in faith for healing. That doesn't mean they have faith in their prayers. It doesn't mean that they have faith in healing. And it doesn't mean that they have faith in faith. It means they have faith in God. The elders are to pray with absolute confidence that God hears, God cares, and God has the power to heal. If that faith is missing, they fail as elders and their prayers are worthless. The prayer should be sincere, strong, and compassionate, passionately desiring healing, fully confident in God. Amen? So our confidence and our trust is not in a formula, but in God. Nonetheless, we, if we follow in faith the instructions given, I believe that God will work miracles amongst us. Amen. Then verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confession breaks the power of secret sin. Can you say that with me? Confession breaks the power of secret sin. Let's say that one more time. Confession breaks the power 
of secret sin. Our confession is powerful. Now let me just say what I believe this scripture is not saying in terms of confessing our sins or our faults to one another. I don't believe he's talking about accountability partners where a group of people sometimes make themselves accountable to each other and may confess their inner sins and failings. That's a great thing to have, but I don't think it's speaking about that. I don't believe also it's speaking about openly confessing all your sins and wrongdoing to the church and any and everybody. Confession is good, but you have to use discretion when you're confessing. Whenever we have people getting baptized, one of the things I always say to them, think about what you're going to share in your testimony. Because whatever you put out in public, you're going to have to live with it after you've testified. So you don't have to go through all the gory details. How you wallowed in sin and how bad you were and you did this. You don't have to do that. You just have to say, I was a sinner. I acknowledge I was a sinner. I did many things that was wrong. God forgave me of those sins. He has cleansed me and I'm here to be baptized. That satisfies God. That satisfies me. Unwise confessions can lead to more sin. Did you know that? So if I've got a lust problem, and I go up to one of my godly sisters in church and say, Boy, me pining after you, you know. Where do you think that's going to lead? Do you think that confession is going to be helpful for me? You may laugh, but you have to be careful who you share your business with, who you confess to. Because not everybody has the capacity to hold information. You know, we're leaky. Yeah, yeah, we're leaky. I hope you hear me, church. Because this is going to save some of you from trouble. I'm telling you. Confession is good if someone has wronged you. You go to that person and you say, I am sorry. And did you know that me confessing to someone, although it's between me and that individual, that helps to heal the entire church? Did you know that? So it's not just a personal issue, not personal beef that I have with somebody. When there is resolution and restoration that helps to heal the entire body the entire congregation so it is important but what I'm saying use your discretion and be wise in confessing your sin this is not talking about the Roman Catholic sacrament of extreme unction either which is administered to someone to prepare them for death salvation is not determined by being anointed and prayed over by a priest. Salvation is determined by personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to John 3.16. Thankfully, God allows for the decision of faith to be made up to the point of death. However, this must be a personal and genuine receiving of salvation by grace through faith.
in Jesus Christ alone, according to Ephesians 2, 8-9. Observance of a ritual before death is meaningless in determining salvation and eternal destiny. When I was a hospital chaplain at Birmingham's Children's Hospital, one of the things they asked me to do was baptizing children before they pass. They said, if you were called out in the middle of the night and the family wanted, wants you to baptize their child, would you do that? I said, no, I wouldn't. Because as a church, we don't believe that and we don't practice that. I'll come and I'll pray for that child and I'll pray for the family. But I don't believe the scripture teaches infant baptism. So we need to know what we believe, don't we? And what we, we practice. And nobody really should be forcing us to do things that we don't truly believe. So somewhere in this process of praying for the sick, there's a place here for confession. The implication is that sin can cause sickness. Now don't think that every time you're sick, you've sinned. But the scripture is implying that where there is sin and lack of uh, repentance and confession, it can cause illness, it can cause sickness, whether directly or that could even be the guilt that plays on your mind and the worry and anxiety that brings on illness. So in this process of praying over the sick, the mature believers, the elders, must give that person an opportunity to confess any sin in their lives that needs to be dealt with because it could hinder the prayer from, and stop it from being effective. Something else I think we can draw out of this when we're praying for people who are sick, whether they're believers or not, that our priority must be always be that person's soul. So if you go to the hospital, you visit someone who's sick, and if they're not a believer... Yes, you want to pray for them to become well, but the priority is for their soul to be well. Much more important than the body being well, because we know the body will decay and will be left behind, but the soul lives on. So remember that when we're praying for those who are sick, that our priority is that their soul be restored to the Lord. Amen. Verse 16, the second part says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James here uses an example of Elijah, the prophet from the Old Testament. Um, and he says here that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruits. This is a very important comparison because sometimes we don't feel like spiritual superheroes, do we? You know what your emotions are like and how you, you might feel on top of the mountain one minute, next minute. Just like Elijah, in fact, he suffered from depression. After such a mighty victory on Mount Carmel, he was on antidepressants. Wanted God to take his life suicidal. So we don't always feel like super spiritual heroes or heroines. But we're just like Elijah. We have the same nature 
as Elijah. And you know, our prayer is not based so much on who we are, but it's on who God has made us to be in Christ. God has forgiven us of our sins. And he hasn't just forgiven us of our sins. He has imputed to us his righteousness. Clothed us with his righteousness. So that when we stand before him. We can come before him boldly. With our requests. And we can pray that prayer of faith. So Elijah was just like us. He had a nature just like us. His emotions fluctuated. His faith in God fluctuated. But the scripture said that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. I want us to look at what made Elijah's prayer so powerful. Does that mean that I can just pray for anything and it will happen? No. Elijah prayed according to the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 13 reads, And it shall be, if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens, so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving to you. So you see, Elijah knew the word of the Lord, that if the people of Israel would turn their hearts away from God, that God said, I will shut up the heavens, there'll be no rain. So that's what he prayed. He prayed what God had already said in his word. And that's what made his prayer so powerful. The same applies to us. We need to know the the, the word of God. We need to know the scripture. What does God say about you? What does God say about your circumstances? To me, reminding God, not, not that God forgets his word, you know. He knows his word, but bringing his word before him. You say, God, in your words, you promised You would keep me. You promised you would deliver me. You promised you would make a way in the wilderness. To me, that's the most powerful way that we can pray. And I also believe that prayer is such that it helps us to develop a dialogue, a relationship with God. So the scripture is encouraging us to take God with you in every season of your life. Whether you feel like praying or not, whether you feel like singing psalms or you're down off your feet, then you need to pray. If you're sick, you need to call for help. Bring God into your life space and give him the opportunity to come alongside and work in your circumstances. So 
Prayers are prayed based on the scripture, reminding and bringing God's word before him are very powerful. That's why we need to study our Bibles. That's why we need to memorize passages of scripture. Meditate on the word of God so that when you're praying, to me, you know, when I pray and the scripture comes out my mouth, it's just like a, a missile that's just launched into the camp of the enemy. Enemy can't stand up against that. With pinpoint accuracy, knocking out the enemy's system and plans that he's set up against us. Amen? We need to be a Bible-believing, Bible-speaking, Bible-praying church. Amen. I'm closing off with three lessons I want to leave with you. So what do we get from this passage? Firstly, that we need to believe boldly. God is almighty. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. There is none greater than him. So there's no challenge that we can bring to God that's going to challenge him. Last Sunday evening, Jason Mighty sang the song. It was something like, Jesus is bigger. In other words, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus is bigger than that. He has the power to reverse circumstances, to bring healing, to work miracles, to open doors, to grant you favor when you think you don't deserve it. We must believe God boldly. Not because we, are, we have made ourselves worthy, but because he has clothed us in his righteousness forgiveness of our sins and he says come boldly the invitation is to come boldly to the throne of grace when you're in time of need to obtain grace and mercy so don't be afraid to come to God and think he's going to be phased by your challenges he is bigger than any challenge that any of us will ever face in this life Believe boldly and come to him. He will restore. Amen. Then we need to trust fully. What does that mean? Remember last week I shared that God's time is not our time. So we want things done like yesterday. But God is like the farmer. He's patient. So we need to exercise patience. And God knows best. So sometimes his decisions we don't understand. But we have to trust him fully because he has our very best interests at heart. And even though we can't figure out what's going on, when we pray the prayer of faith, the guarantee is that he will save, he will restore. When he will do that, we don't know. And how he will do that, we don't know. So we pray in faith and then we trust Fully. Amen. And then we need to pray constantly. We need to pray constantly through all seasons of our lives. We need to pray and develop our relationship with God on a daily basis. Allow his word to be walking in our thoughts. Talk to God like you talk to a friend. You don't have to 
use any special language to speak to God. Just speak to him how you speak to your mate. Yeah, bruv. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I must stop. I must stop bringing these kind of jokes into my... But you get what I'm saying? Just use the language that you use. And say, Lord, I just feel awful. You don't have to use King James English or anything like that. Just, and it doesn't have to, yeah, thee and thou and wither for and... You don't have to pray like that. Some people do, and great for them, if it works for them. But if it doesn't work for you, pray constantly. Just use the language that you use. A prayer doesn't have to be long. can be quite brief. But there's a connection there. You're in communion with God, developing your relationship with God. Amen. Before I close, I wonder if there's anybody in here who wants to believe God boldly for something today. If you want to believe God for something boldly today, maybe you have been knocked off your feet. Could be a financial challenge. It could be a physical challenge, a mental challenge. Could be a relationship challenge. You could be suffering from something like depression. You want to believe God boldly today. I want to invite you to come forward to this altar because we are going to pray together. We're going to go to God with boldness to his throne. And we're going to ask him in this hour for grace and mercy. And I believe he will hear our prayer and he will answer us. I'm not going to be wooing or prolonging this. If you want to believe God boldly, I know you will just come. I don't have to press this for much longer. While you're thinking about it or whilst you're coming, is there anybody here who is not a Christian and you want to break the power of sin of your life by confessing your sin? To the Lord Jesus Christ before you leave this service. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell the person who's coming to pray with you. The most important thing is to confess your sin to God. And say, Lord, I know I'm walking around guilty of all this wrongdoing. At the same time, I know that Jesus Christ lived and died. Paid the penalty for my sins that I might be free and cleansed from my sins. If you want the power of sin to be broken off your life today, I want to invite you to come forward, if you're not a Christian, and pray to the Lord. Confess that sin to him and allow him to bring his forgiveness into your life. Clean your heart. Change your desires. And give you a brand new start in life. That's possible. Is that possible, Pastor? Yes, it's possible because that's what's happened to me. When I was 13 years old, thought I was doing my own thing and, yeah, ruling the world. Until one day I came to face to face with my sins and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And did the very thing I'm asking you to do in this sanctuary today. My testimony is that it changed the whole course of my life and here I am today as a witness calling anyone who will hear 
to come and receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Church, please be upstanding as we pray together. We're going to believe God boldly today. The scripture says in James that a double-minded person is unstable. In other words, if you pray and you believe this minute and the next minute you're doubting, unstable. You're not going to obtain anything from God in that manner. But how do you become stable? By girding up the loins of your mind with the promises of the Word of God. Not just at this altar, because I'm telling you this. I could pray the most powerful anointed prayer here before this service closes. And if you leave from here and allow your mind to delve back into negative traits of thinking and people around you are telling you can't, it's not going to happen, you will more or less nullify this prayer. So there's more to it than just praying at this altar. You have then got to make time in your diary to be with God, to be in His presence, to read His Word, to seek to understand His Word. You have to do everything that you can do. Just like the farmer. When you've done everything that you can do, then you wait. And God will do the rest. Amen. So we're pledging today to do everything that we can do. Not just the minimal. Everything. Make every effort that you can make to believe and trust God and to walk in that beyond this service. Then you watch God come into that space and open up miracles. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord, from the scripture today. I thank you for those who are standing at this altar, Lord, who have come forth and they are believing you boldly, knowing that you are the almighty, everlasting all-powerful, sovereign God. There's no higher power, no higher authority than you, O God. Our problems are not bigger than you. Lord, we come to you in this hour as you bid us boldly to your throne. Lord, I ask on the behalf of these who stand at the altar that you would a portion to each one, grace, favor, mercy, miracles, healing, liberty, provision, oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ. We believe you for that, Lord. We're not wavering as we pray. We pray in faith and we trust you and we believe you. Hallelujah. And I pray, God, that the mindset of each of these will be to leave this place of prayer and make every effort align corresponding actions with your word and with this prayer of faith. 
Make every effort, Lord, to spend time in your presence, in your word. Holding fast to their confession of faith without wavering. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Come into their diaries. Come into their schedules. Lord, will you just rearrange their agendas and their priorities because this is going to be necessary for them to be established in victory. Hallelujah. So we say, Lord, have your way. Have your way, oh God. Have your way. In the name of Jesus. Before we close, I'm going to ask you at the altar and indeed all of us, we're going to pray together just for a short period. You are just like Elijah. If Elijah prayed and it didn't rain, whatever you are believing God for today, pray and believe God for that. Amen. So I've prayed for you. I want you to pray for yourself. My prayer is not any more special than your prayer. Believe me. If you pray in faith to God, God will hear and he will answer your prayer. Are you ready to pray, church? Are you sure? Are you ready to pray, church? Not just words, but we're going to believe God. Amen? Whatever God brings to the forefront of your mind, maybe a long-standing issue, maybe something that's weighing heavy on your heart, maybe a concern that you have, Maybe something you've even given up on. You just think, well, this isn't going to happen in my lifetime. I want us to believe boldly. God can do anything. Anybody believe that in here? God can do anything. Even when it seems it's all over. There's no comeback this time. God can do anything. Amen. Let's just pray together then. Let's open up our hearts and our mouths to God. And pray and believe God in faith. Believe Him for that son or daughter you want to be saved. Believe Him for your healing. Believe Him for your breakthrough in this hour in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just, let's just intensify our prayer just for two minutes. Just give it everything for two minutes. Don't hold back. Just pray for two minutes. Let's just, let's just press this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I ask for the miraculous to break open, oh God.